This is Plant-Based Briefing, Zoonotic Disease and Animal Welfare in the U.S., Part 2 by Kristen A. Stilt and Bonnie Nadzim at faunalytics.org. And I'm your host, Marian Erickson. This is the Plant-Based Podcast where I curate, get permission, and narrate a variety of articles on the myriad of reasons to live a vegan lifestyle. And today's article is from Faunalytics. I'm thrilled to have permission to read their content. And today's is the second half. I read part one yesterday because it was longer than a 10-minute episode. And then today is part two. So if you haven't listened to yesterday's, go back and do that first. And then this will make sense when we jump into the second half of the article. So now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. Zoonotic Disease and Animal Welfare in the U.S. Part 2 by Kristen A. Stilt and Bonnie Nadzim at faunalytics.org. Here are some of the dynamics the report details, including risks among farmed animals, hunting and trapping practices, breeding and slaughtering captive bred animals, example for fur, and more. Here's a summary of a graphic on farming and slaughter. The most significant federal agency overseeing animal production for food, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, does not have any authority to regulate on-farm animal production. About 7,800 food safety inspectors are responsible for 6,800 federally inspected meat processing plants, which together slaughter over 9.9 billion animals per year. If we assume a five-day work week, eight-hour work day, and 50 weeks of work per year, this amounts to each federal employee inspecting around 635 animals per hour, 10.6 animals per minute, or one animal every 5.7 seconds. Eighteen mink farms across four states have experienced COVID-19 outbreaks, but there is no federal regulation in the U.S. that governs the treatment, health, housing conditions, or slaughter of animals raised on fur farms. To date, the H5N1 avian influenza outbreak has killed 58 million animals across backyard chicken coops and industrial farms. H5N1 has spread to a live poultry market in New York City. And 20 million, the number of animals who arrive dead at slaughterhouses each year in the United States. It's unclear whether they're dying from heat exhaustion, dehydration, or disease. And here's a summary of a graphic on hunting and the game meat industry. No federal law meaningfully regulates the captive hunting industry, such as elk or deer, fenced inside of a game hunting operation. States are left to regulate as much or as little as they choose across these markets, despite the fact that COVID-19 has been passed from deer to humans and that humans have passed COVID-19 back to deer hundreds of times. One billion pounds of game meat, for example elk, duck, buffalo, are consumed in the U.S. each year. We'd refer to this as bush meat in almost every other country. As long as the meat is consumed and shared by the people who killed it, no inspection or sanitary measures are required. U.S. consumers' use of animals and animal body parts and products as food, companions, toys, decorations, clothing, medicine, and more is enormous. So is the risk to humans and other animals from zoonotic disease spillover. This is an issue both domestically and globally. Wealth and consumption habits in the U.S. are driving extractive practices in search of animals and animal products across much of the world. Further, these extractive practices drive spillover risk upstream in the supply chain. It is clear to us that the U.S. has significant responsibility in generating global disease risks, and it must fundamentally restructure the way that human-animal encounters occur in the country to minimize the risk and harm it poses to all species. Using our research to inform advocacy. Like many animal advocates, our mission involves a commitment to analyzing and improving the treatment of animals. So how does an assessment of zoonotic risk across animal markets help to advance this cause? 
Generally, where animal welfare is poor, disease risk is higher. There are many zoonotic risk factors that relate to animal welfare. For example, the intensity of animal confinement, the health of the animals, veterinary care or lack thereof, how long animals are used in the supply chain, and the methods of transport can all heighten disease risk. Some stress behaviors, such as cannibalism, that can make animals even more vulnerable to potential pathogens are amplified when animals are housed in poor conditions. This research, highlighting just how closely human health is connected to animal health, provides animal advocates with additional reasons why we should all care about animals. While it is true that focusing on disease prevention alone is insufficient, there are industry strategies that improve public health without improving animal welfare, indeed quite the opposite. There is increasing awareness of the interdependence of animal and human health, along with plant and environmental health. According to these frameworks, addressing the health of animals is not merely a means to an end that ultimately takes a secondary role to protecting human health. Rather, it is profoundly connected with, and just as important as, the health of humans. And it is difficult to conceive of any industry strategy or technology that could meaningfully undermine this fundamental truth. This interconnected framework is referred to as One Health, and it's being embraced by the WHO, the CDC, UNICEF, and even the current White House administration. Despite fair criticisms, the concept can help us understand and address many global problems, including pandemic prevention. A One Health approach emphasizes our interdependence with animals, plants, and the environment, and it suggests collaboration as a way to improve our collective health. Sharing knowledge and using a common language are important ways that organizations, governments, and individuals can help prevent zoonotic diseases that threaten both human and animal health. It is in this spirit that we encourage you to review the report and identify the kinds of markets that are within your mission and even those you encounter in your daily lives, including runs to a grocery store or a summer trip to a state or county fair. The fact is, even the most fringe of these animal markets, coyote urine farming or camel milk production, for example, makes humans and animals vulnerable to myriad zoonotic diseases. To disregard the welfare of any creature puts everyone at risk. You just listened to Zoonotic Disease and Animal Welfare in the U.S., Part 2, by Kristen A. Stilt and Bonnie Nadzam at Phonolytics.org, and I'm your host, Marian Erickson. And I, too, was surprised reading that they found 36 major American animal industries. I had no idea. I'm not so surprised by the disconnected patchwork of federal, state, and municipal laws, but maybe that's just my cynicism coming out. But as with every episode, I link to the original post in the show notes, and from that post, you can link to the original report. If you listen somewhere where the links don't work, like on YouTube, and that's because my podcast platform posts automatically to YouTube and the links are dead for some reason, but you can always go to plantbasedbriefing.com on episodes, and then you can find the original post and the links there. But I'm going to quickly read the 36 consumer markets that they explored, the ways humans use animals. Under pet trade, there's exotic pet trade, pet stores, swap meats, and dog breeders. Under hunting, fishing, and trapping, there's hunting and trapping, captive hunting, commercial upland game bird production, and commercial and recreational fishing. Large-scale production for food and fiber includes big game farming, fur farming, industrial animal agriculture, livestock auctions, live animal markets, and aquaculture. Specialized farming and production includes alpaca and llama farming, backyard poultry production, fat guano harvesting, camel farming, coyote and fox urine production, crocodilian farming, ferret farming, 
guinea pig farming, rabbit farming, ratites, ostrich and emu farming, and turtle farming. And under entertainment and research is roadside zoos, livestock fairs, petting zoos, rodeos, animal fighting, animal racing, animals in circuses, animals in film and media, large zoos and aquariums, marine animal parks, and animals in research. Humans are messed up. Why do we have to use animals at all, let alone in these bizarre ways? And this doesn't even include the way we're starting to use insects now, which I guess doesn't apply to zoonotic, but that's just another way humans horribly use and abuse and exploit others. And I've done a number of other episodes on zoonotic diseases and pandemics related to animal use. I'll link some of these in the show notes, but you can check out bonus episode number one, Go Vegan or Risk Another Pandemic. 164, How the Loss of Biodiversity and Ecosystems Increases Pandemic Risk. 292, World Food Safety Day, Shifting Towards the Food System of Today and Tomorrow. 326, Eating Our Way to Extinction, Film Review. 332 and 333, Antimicrobial Resistance, Increasing the Risk of Pandemics. 391, The Connection Between Deadly Pandemics and Our Diets. And 487, Four Reasons Why Going Plant-Based Promotes Social Justice. So please share this episode with anyone who might benefit, and thanks for listening.